I just want to add my welcome if you've joined us since the start of the service. My name's Owen, uh, and I have the privilege of leading the team here at Foundation Church. Uh, and I just want to say I'm so glad that you've joined us this afternoon. Uh, if you're new to us, you've come right uh, in the midst of a series. We've been working through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, a series we've entitled The Search for Meaning, as King Solomon, who wrote this book, takes us on this journey through everything that his senses could take in, what he could see and touch and smell and taste. Uh, it takes us through religious experience and academic pursuits and the pursuit of pleasure and all of these different things in the search to find where does meaning in life come from? What is it all about? Why are we here? And we've joined him over these last uh, couple of months uh, as we've journeyed through the book of Ecclesiastes together. And today uh, we are in chapter 10, uh, verse 2, right through to chapter 11, verse 6. Uh, and we're coming in towards the end of the book and, uh, and the end of the series. And uh, as Solomon comes towards his conclusion at the end of this book, uh, we're going to read today about wisdom. And in particular the way that wisdom leads us to live our lives. And it's my guess that as we work through these verses today and, and Solomon contrasts for us at times uh, the wise man and the foolish man or the way of wisdom and the way of the fool, that there'll be different aspects for each one of us where we'll, if we're honest, be able to identify with the fool. I know there have been many of those for me as I've prepared and studied through these verses this week. Uh, so rather than read through it all in one big chunk, uh, the way we're going to work today is we will read a couple of verses and then unpack those and then carry on reading and we'll continue to do that through this chapter in a bit. So just before we begin reading, as we get into it, we need to remember that already in this book, the writer of Ecclesiastes has told us that true wisdom means seeking after God. True wisdom means living in obedience to God, worshipping God, recognising him as the giver of life, recognising him as the giver of all good things to be enjoyed and celebrated. And that he's also told us that the fool is the one who rejects God who turns his back on God and says, I don't need you, I, I want to go my own way. And so as we come to these verses today, Solomon is going to paint for us this picture of the wise man and the fool. So as we set out in chapter 10, verse 2, we read this first sentence. He says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left. Strange expression, right? I mean, what does Solomon mean? Is this a, some kind of odd political statement? You know, the wise man inclines to the right and the fool... No, 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 no. Okay, let's just be clear. That's not what he's saying. And it's also not a mistake. He didn't mean to say, oh, the wise man uh, inclines to the right and the fool to the wrong. Although, in a sense, that's kind of what he's getting at because I'm sorry to any left-handed people listening, uh, but in Solomon's view and in the culture of the day, the, the right hand is associated with strength and with action. 
and the left hand is weak and passive. The right hand is the hand with which you accomplish things. And so what he's saying is that the the wise man's heart leads him to action, purposeful action, but the fool is idle and lazy. And he continues, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Because when the fool walks down the road, he lacks sense or, or he lacks direction. He, he lacks purpose. It's this picture of someone who's just all over the place. Like, he doesn't know where he's going. And this is serious. In Solomon's view, this is what it looks like to reject God. This is what it looks like to think we know better than God and to turn our back on him and say we're going our own way. What that leads to, Solomon says, is actually a place of being directionless, of aimless, of just following after anything and everything that comes across our path. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. It's not that he literally walks down the road saying, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. It's just that his actions, or lack of action, betrays his heart to others. But by contrast, the godly wise man has direction and purpose and takes action. His heart inclines him to the right Solomon continues to talk about what it looks like to live wise. He says, if the anger of rulers rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. What's he saying? He's saying the way of wisdom is to not be reactionary, to not be quick-tempered, to not be easily riled up. Don't jump to your own defense when you're criticized. He says, Calm down. (laughs) When someone says or does something against you that puts your back up, when someone speaks ill of you or misrepresents you, what do we all naturally, instinctively want to do? We want to put them right or or put other people right about what they've said. So I'm not like that. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. We're very quick, aren't we, to jump to our own defense. But Solomon says, no, 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 no. That's not wise. Stay put. Just stay at your place. Stay home. Stay calm. Don't let your anger drive your actions. It's great wisdom there, right? He carries on. He's talking about foolishness, the folly of this world. He says from verse 5, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. This is a kind of strange picture, but what Solomon's saying is that he's observed in this world that people who deserve honour and respect, so princes, in his view, these people worthy of a position of honour and respect, often don't actually receive it. They, they walk on the ground like slaves, and yet people who perhaps aren't deserving of honour and respect, fools in Solomon's view, do get respect. 
And I think when you look around the world, he's got a point. For who has the fame and fortune often when we look around in, in our current culture? Reality TV stars, like programs like Geordie Shore or The Only Way is Essex or Made in Chelsea, or Love Island. I don't have anything against those people, but, but precisely what is it that they're famous for? Why are they respected and revered and well-known and, and have legions of fans? It doesn't make any sense. Pop stars and footballers, the respect and adulation and money that they receive. Again, I don't have anything against them, but I mean, really? Like, so they're good looking and can sing, or, or they're skilled at playing a game where you work with a group of players to get a ball from one end of a field to another and into a net. And yet, all too often, scientists and doctors, engineers, teachers, people who are making a material difference, a substantial impact on the well being of others, so often go unknown and uncelebrated. That's kind of topsy-turvy, isn't it? It doesn't make a great deal of sense. And that's some of what Solomon is wanting us to see. And he wants us to see that, that this is a crazy world. With more than its fair share of fools being celebrated by fools. That's what he's pointing out here. And in that world, that slightly crazy topsy-turvy world, unpredictable and catastrophic things happen. He goes on to say, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Now Solomon isn't saying in these verses that, that no one should do manual jobs. You're like, well, it's dangerous. You know, if you quarry stone, you're going to get hurt by them. Split logs, uh-uh. If you dig a pit, you're going to fall into it, so don't dig that pit. <laughs> See, that's not what he's saying. His, his point is simply that you could dig pits your whole life, but one day you could fall in by accident and break your leg. You might work in demolition. You've knocked down more walls than I've had hot dinners, and yet one day there's a snake in the gap in the wall, and it bites you as you go about your work. I mean, admittedly not likely in this country, but in certain parts of the world far more so. There's no way that you would know that was going to happen, but it might. Digging out stone or splitting logs are not guaranteed safe occupations. Actually, nothing is, and that's really Solomon's point. Accidents happen. And we understand this, don't we? You know, we can see this around us, that these sorts of things happen. I'm sure we've Many of us have had accidents ourselves, or we know people who have had accidents in the workplace, or they've just been going about their, their day-to-day, and, and something happens unexpectedly, and you just think, man, like, what are the chances of that? Like, he's been digging pits his whole life. I never expected him to fall in and break his leg. Solomon wants us to see and to accept that danger and risk is an inevitable part of life in this world. But that said, we can still apply wisdom. He carries on. He says, if the iron is blunt 
and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. What's he saying here? Well, it's not rocket science. Solomon's like, if you are going to use an axe or a blade to cut something, sharpen it first. (laughs) It's, It's like it'll save you time and energy. There's wisdom. But this isn't just about cutting down trees or sawing a piece of wood or something. It's a picture about applying thought and skill to our work. It's about not being lazy. It's about being prepared. It's about not making do, but instead being diligent. Solomon here is wanting us to see that the wise person whose heart inclines them to purposeful action also applies thought and diligence to their work. They're prepared. He's saying, don't just stumble into the day and and see what happens. Don't walk down the road like the fool who has no sense of direction. Be prepared. And in a similar vein, he says, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. I think this picture is kind of funny. It makes me chuckle a little bit because you've got this picture of a snake charmer and it's like, and then he's bitten and it's too late. Um, and Because really Solomon's pointing out just the stupidity of inactivity. He's pointing out the, the foolish person who, who, whose heart inclines them to the left, to laziness and, and inactivity and being ill-prepared and ill-thought-through and not planned out. He's like, the snake charmer might be there. I mean, he might have his little penny whistle flute and everything ready to go, but if he doesn't actually put his skills into practice, if he doesn't actually do his job, then there's no point. The snake's going to go and bite people, maybe even him. If there's no action, there's no point. You can have the best plans, the best talents and skills. I mean, I, I, you know, snake charming, but... I mean, that's something that there's a skill there. There's a talent. And he's like, you could be the best darn snake charmer, but if you don't start playing your pipe, what's the point? You could be the most gifted or talented person. But if your heart inclines you to laziness and inactivity and not being thought through and not following through on your plans, then it's all a waste. He carries on building on this same picture. He says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. It's this picture of this fool who doesn't know the way to the city. He's got no direction, no purpose. He doesn't know what he's doing. And Solomon wants to drive home the point. He says, for the fool, it's all talk. He multiplies words to the point that actually it's just worthless. And no one even knows what he's going on about anymore. And what will he leave behind? Well, it's anyone's guess. His work wearies him. He's got no direction. I guess I want to challenge you. Do you talk a good game? That's kind of what Solomon's looking at here with this picture of the fool. He's like they're constantly going on about all these things they're going to do. 
oh yeah, I'm going to go here and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to make this and then I'm going to like secure this business deal and I'm going to go there and I'm going to 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 and there's no action. Do you talk a good game? Do you actually put it into practice? There's no good just constantly saying what you're going to do. Solomon wants to be clear. You need to actually get on and do it. And then, just as he kind of, <laughs> we start to feel the weight a little bit of what Solomon's saying, he, he takes this sudden step back. Like having been very focused on the individual and for us being like, oh my goodness, this, this maybe starts to feel a little bit uncomfortable. He takes this giant leap back and instead of looking at an individual, looks at the state of a nation and the impact of wise men or fools on the state of a nation. And he says this from verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. But happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. It's like it's bad news for a country when those in authority are fools. A child king is, is hopeless. Like they're immature and directionless. A child king has no idea how to lead a country with purpose and authority and direction. And princes who feast in the morning. This is a picture of princes who are indulgent and lazy. Instead of being purposeful with their time, instead of being those whose hearts incline them to the right, to purposeful action, instead of getting on with the task at hand of ruling, perhaps even of maybe going to war, instead they lay about feasting. But in contrast, he says... Happy for the land when the king is the son of nobility. When the king is the son of nobility, what's he saying? I mean, he, he isn't a class snob, okay? <laughs> Solomon's not like, well, you know, it's much better if the king is, you know, from the proper ranks in society. No, no, no. What he means is that this king, who's the son of nobility, knows his heritage, he knows where he's come from, and he also knows where he's going. There's direction, there's purpose to the way he's living. He is rooted, he has clarity and purpose to his life. And he carries on. Princes who know that there's a time to celebrate and feast, but that it's not in the morning before their day's work is done. Now, we may all have different views about the leaders in this country. Some of you might think, argue even, as you read these verses, you might like to say that you think they're behaving like a child king. And others may have a much more positive view. You might say, no. I think under incredibly difficult circumstances, they're doing a very good job. They're, they're like princes who know the right time for feasting and the right time to pull things back. But whatever your view, one thing is for sure. We need to pray for those in power in our country. We need to pray for those in power around the world. Actually, that they would not be like a child king or princes that feast in the morning instead of going about their work. 
Because foolishness in leadership has a negative impact, not just on the individual, but on the nation. And likewise, wisdom there has a positive impact too. So we need to be those who pray for our leaders, who pray that they would lead and govern with wisdom and authority. Now, having given us a moment to look out there (laughs) and to consider others, Solomon comes right back here. Now, and in verse 18, he says this, Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. He says, if you're a fool, your heart inclines you to the left, to inactivity, to laziness, then your house, your possessions are going to fall into disrepair. It's obvious, isn't it? Again, it's not rocket science. Taking care of your property is wise and actually honors God with what he's entrusted you to steward. And then Solomon carries on in verse 19, back to one of his favorite subjects. (laughs) And you'll notice as we read, I mean, he comes back to this loads and loads throughout this book. He says, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Solomon speaks about food and feasting a lot in this book. If you've been with us these last weeks, you will have noticed that. And here again, he says, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. The right kind of feasting at the right time after a day's work is done, like the good princes in verse 17, is part of enjoying God's good gifts to us in this world. And and as we talked about a couple of weeks back, it's also a way in which as Christians we get a little tiny foretaste of eternity as we enjoy community, friendship, Good food and wine, and we rest after a good day's work, grateful to God for his provision towards us. But Solomon then curiously says, doesn't he? He says, money answers everything. And you think, say what? Like, now I'm sorry if you have read that and you're hoping that this is the point at which I'm going to turn into a prosperity preacher and say it's all about money. Money is the answer. God wants you rich. Because I'm not going to say that. (laughs) And that's not what Solomon means in this verse. He's already been very straight with us in his book that money is most definitely not the answer. Remember, King Solomon had wealth beyond your wildest dreams. Probably the richest guy to have ever walked the face of the earth. Just astronomic, mind-boggling wealth, and he came to the conclusion that that was not the answer. That would not fulfill you. That would not satisfy you. That would not bring you contentment and joy. So he can't possibly be saying money is the answer to life. Money is the meaning of life. Being rich, that's what it's about. No, 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 no. So what does he mean? Well, we need to be aware that we cannot read this as a standalone sentence. We can't ever do that. We have to read it in context. And so we read it in the context of what precedes it. Not just in the the wider picture of the book, but in these immediate verses. Because he says about feasting, well, you know, not only feasting and drinking is expensive, uh, but also money and revenue does not come from consuming, but instead from producing Money is not the answer to everything in an ultimate sense, but in this context, he's 
helping us understand that we live in a culture and in a world where money is needed if you're going to eat, if you're going to have shelter, if you're going to be clothed. So is it wise to feast instead of working and being responsible? The impact it will have on your bank balance is the answer to that. And in that sense, money is the answer. Money is the answer to whether it is appropriate to be feasting and drinking or working. Now, you may start with money if you're just into feasting and drinking, but you won't have it for that long if you're just lazy and you party all the time. We can easily think, though, can't we, that it would just be great to have the easy life to just like, not have to work, to just be able to kick back and relax and chill and eat and drink great stuff. And we're like, yes, like that, that would be awesome. I would love that. But Solomon wants to burst that bubble and go, nope. <laughs> Actually, that would be a foolish approach to life. And there's some people think, like, that's what heaven's going to be like. We're just going to, like, chill out eating awesome food and just relax forever. But that's not really true. God created us to work, to be diligent in our work. Before sin entered the world, before the fall, he commissioned Adam and Eve to work, to be fruitful and productive with their days. We'll work in heaven. I'm sure of it. Now, it won't be full of all the frustrations that it is now, but we will be productive and fruitful. You know, people's mental health suffers when they don't work, when they live without focus and purpose. We're supposed to live with purpose. We're supposed to live to work as well. We're supposed to enjoy the rhythm of work and rest. It's actually really important for our flourishing. So, so far, what have we got from these verses? Solomon's hit it a few different ways, but the picture that he's building and the message that he wants us to get as he builds this portrait of a wise man and a fool is that godly wisdom leads us to plan and to purposeful activity and to knowing when to hold our tongue and not shout our mouths off about all our great plans or in defense of ourselves, but instead to use our words carefully. And Solomon has one more thing to say about how the wise use their words or how fools might use their words before he concludes this section. And we read this from verse 20. He says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. So it's like earlier, he said, like, if they criticize you, don't jump up and go and try and justify yourself. And now he takes it further and he says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. He's saying, Watch what you say about people. Foolish people walk around criticizing and bad mouthing others. But wise, godly people don't even do that on their own in their bedroom. I don't know about you, but I actually find those verses quite challenging. Because on the whole, I try to be very honouring of the way I speak about others. I don't even 
always get that right, but I, I try, I seek to be honouring in the way I speak about others, particularly in, in groups or in conversation. I'm by no means perfect in that regard, though. And there have been times, more than a couple, when I've had to go and apologise to people for the things I've said, where I've had to repent for the things I've said and ask for forgiveness. But honestly, I can struggle with this in my own thoughts, my own head, just on my own. I can think and even speak out when I'm in my room on my own terrible things about people sometimes. Solomon wants to be clear, like, that's foolish. That's not what a godly, wise person does. It doesn't make any odds if no one else heard it. Your heart is the issue. And a wise man doesn't go there because it corrupts his heart. I'm just like, Lord, help us. Help us. In that regard. And then now these last verses of today, Solomon kind of draws this whole thing together for us. And he says this from 11, 1 to 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Solomon pointed out earlier, didn't he? Unpredictable things happen. Danger and risk are part of life. And he warns us in this concluding section, he warns us against Letting the knowledge of that hold us back from action. Letting fear about what might happen or what might not happen hold us back from action. He's built his case that the godly, wise person plans. They're purposeful and they take action. They use the gifts that God has given them diligently. They don't kind of put their flute in their back pocket until the snake's already bitten someone. And they trust God with the outcome. See, Solomon says here, he's like, if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. <laughs> if the clouds are full and they're going to rain, it's going to happen. And if the tree's going to fall down there, it's going to fall down there. But if you let the possibility of those things worry you and distract you, you won't get anywhere. If you live in fear that you might fall in the ditch, or the snake might bite you, or the rock might fall on you, then you'll never get anywhere. He says if you're always watching the weather to find the perfect time to do something, you'll never get it done. And it's really, in lots of ways, a call for humility. 
It says in, in verse 5, it's like, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He's like, you don't know really. I mean, like, we understand the biology, but how does someone gain their personality? How does what, what really constitutes a person, how does that all work? Like, we get the, the, just the, the straight biology of it, but that doesn't really account for personality. It, it, it's a mystery to us to so many ways. And he says, you don't know how that happens how life really, human life really happens. And you don't know the work of God who makes everything. You're not God. You're human. You're finite. You need to humble yourself. If you try and wait thinking you can cover off every tiny different eventuality until everything's lined up and it's definitely going to work, you will never get anywhere. It won't happen. The truth is, the wind might blow and blow away the seed that you're scattering. The rain might come and ruin the harvest. You might have that conversation with a colleague at work that you've been putting off for a while and they might really take offence. You might step out on that business venture that you've been weighing up for a while and it might not work out the way you hoped. But you know what? The possibility of failure shouldn't stop you from making plans and working hard to see them through. The possibility that things might not work out the way you want them to should not stop you from making plans and working hard and being diligent in it. Solomon wants us to see it is foolish to let the fear of what may or may not happen to stop you from stepping out. Don't be fools. Don't live in fear. I'm not talking about being reckless. Remember, he talked about the axe. He's like, be prepared. (laughs) Sharpen the tools. Get ready. The wise man makes a plan. He's prepared. He sharpens his axe. But he still steps out and does it. He still has to pick it up and hit the tree. He's diligent and hardworking. He trusts God with the outcome at the end of the day. Because we don't know everything. So what's your plan? Do you know? I've met lots of Christians who, who should be wise <laughs> Christians. Uh, but actually, tragically, they often behave more like fools. Because they have this kind of case sera sera whatever will be, will be, kind of attitude to life. They, they have no plan and no direction. And they think that that makes them spiritual because, well, we're trusting in God. You know, what he wants will happen. His, his will will happen. Solomon says that's not spiritual, that's foolish. Be wise. Make a plan. Now, now God's word should inform that plan, right? There is plenty in here that should impact and inform the decisions we make and the plans we have and how we go about them. We don't make it without regard for God, but we make it in humble respect for him, taking wisdom from his word. But we need to make a plan (laughs) and work hard. 
and trust God with the outcome. We've got some plans as a church. Some of those have been interrupted this year. You know, we don't know whether the wind's going to blow and get rid of the seed that we're trying to scatter or whether the tree's going to fall this way or that. But we trust God. That's okay. We're not going to let that stop us from keeping stepping forward and pressing on into the future. I've got plans personally. I think it's helpful to talk about what this looks like in your own life. See, I know where I want to be and what I want to be doing. Goals and targets and outcomes that I would love to see, and I'm planning and working towards them. I've got a number of smaller goals and plans, but here are just a couple of my kind of big picture. I, I can see these consuming a very large amount of my life, and the first is this. I want to do everything I can to grow more like Jesus. To grow closer in my relationship with God. To delight in him more and more each day. To put to death the sin in my life and to live more like Christ daily. And I'm purposeful about that. I I try to be diligent about that. I have disciplines and habits in my life to help me work towards that aim. Here's another. I want to do everything I can to help my children grow up to know and love Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Actually, that's an, an outcome that ultimately I don't have the final say in, as if I really have it in any of them. But that won't stop me planning and being purposeful about it. Jenny and I talk regularly about how we can encourage our children, how we can keep putting Christ front and center in our home, how we can keep pointing to the hope of the gospel with our words and with our actions. We, we talk about it. We plan, we work, and we pray. We, we're deliberate about it. And we pray for our children. Because in the end, only God can do the work necessary in their hearts and draw them to himself. So we plan, we work, and we pray. And we trust him with the outcome. Another of my plans. I want Jenny to know that apart from God, that she's number one in my life. I want her to know that she's loved, that she is the most precious person in my life. But again, that that doesn't just happen. See, if I'm a fool and my heart inclines to the left, to inactivity and passivity, Jenny will not feel loved in that way. She will not know that. It probably won't be true either. It doesn't just happen. So I plan for it. I work at it. I tell her. I think about ways that I can show her. I do things that I don't like doing, but that she does like me doing to help her understand that. And I pray for her. Now, I don't, I'm not saying this because I always get these things right, but I think it's helpful to consider what other things you're giving yourself to. Have you got a plan? Lastly, I, I want to see Foundation Church established and beyond that, growing, 
growing with new people being saved and added, thriving as a community of believers who are growing in their knowledge of and love for Jesus, who are growing to be more and more like him and who are meaningfully caught up in God's mission. But that doesn't happen by accident either. So I work towards that end through preaching and teaching, through conversations with individuals. We're looking increasingly to invest in and train more leaders for the future. And by the grace of God, I believe we'll get there. Will it all work out according to my plan? It's pretty unlikely, to be honest. Maybe I'll fall in a ditch. Perhaps a tree will fall on my head. Maybe the wind will blow away the seed. Or the rain will ruin the harvest. Who knows? But I won't let that stop me. So I'm going to work hard and use the gifts God's given me to do everything I can to succeed, to trust him with the outcome. So I want to ask you, Joe, maybe you can come and prepare to lead us in one final song. I want to ask you as these guys come up, what is your plan? What do you want to accomplish with your life? What are you living for? How are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you like the snake charmer who's shoved the flute in his back pocket and the snake's just going to bite? Or are you letting the fear of what might happen, the tree that might fall, the, the rock that might split the wrong way and cause injury, the ditch you might fall in, are you allowing the fear of what might happen to hold you back? I want to encourage you to dream big, to make a plan, to work hard and to use the gifts God's given you for his glory. But I also want to encourage you, above all of it, to trust God. Work hard, but don't be so wedded to your plans that your world falls apart if it doesn't work out the way you'd hoped. I'm going to pray and then hand over to Joe. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom we find in your word. God, we, we recognize in, in those pictures that Solomon's given us today so much, so often, that we can sometimes live like fools. Lord, I'm sorry for the times when I've allowed passivity and inactivity to creep in, or when I've allowed the fear of what might happen to hold me back from stepping out in what I know I should be doing. Lord, I pray that you would embolden us and you would humble us all at the same time. Lord, I pray that we would be people of great courage and conviction. Lord, that we would be godly, wise people who take purposeful and decisive action. But at the same time, we would be wise and godly people with humble hearts who recognize that you alone are sovereign and in control and that we would work with all our might, but at the same time, we would trust you wholeheartedly with the outcome. We recognize that this is a really difficult tension to live. And so we ask, Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to live it out? Would you help us to live as the wise this week for your glory? and for the good of those around us. Amen.